this is Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey people, this is Ben, you are listening to episode 95 of my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Many thanks for joining me and welcome along as always. So I hope you had a good Christmas, assuming you do Christmas. If you don't, I hope you had a good festive midwinter celebration of some description with or without any associated religious or spiritual relevance. Whatever, it's much to do about nothing really, isn't it? I don't know yet how mine went because I'm recording this on Christmas Eve. So I know I'm cooking, that's for sure. Mostly cooking for two days and then a lot of just hang out really and end of year reflection, I think, and a certain amount of planning for 2019. As far as the podcast goes, I will continue to bring you engaging and inspiring chats with accomplished, clever and articulate photographers. I'm going to try and get over to Paris, I think, a bit more on the train and grab a few Paris-based people including hopefully the odd legend, if we uh, get that right. So anyway, Happy New Year to you all, and thanks so much to those of you who have supported the show with a small recurring donation once a month, or by making a larger occasional donation. I really seriously do appreciate that enormously, and I know who you all are, because there aren't that many of you, frankly. This episode's going to be a bit different, because I suddenly realised that what I should probably have been doing for the past couple of years is a kind of end-of-year review in which we can revisit the guests that I've had on over the past 12 months. But before all that, a quick message from uh, my lovely sponsor. Uh, This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Fabulous Charcoal Book Club, the world's first book of the month club dedicated exclusively to photo books. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected photographers and publishers in the industry to send handpicked books directly to your door, whether you are a professional artist or a photographer. With a stock library or a novice who's just beginning to build their collection, the Charcoal Book Club is an easy and affordable way to stay up to date on the most essential work in contemporary photography. The club offers free shipping to the UK, Canada and the US, and members get exclusive perks such as signed copies, access to rare titles, members-only pricing in their online bookstore and more. Charcoal are still extending a very special introductory offer exclusively to Small Voice listeners. When you sign up, any previous book of the month for free. Go to charcoalbookclub.com, use the special code of Small Voice when you sign up to receive a free book. For the latest and greatest photo books delivered to your door with free shipping and no hassles, check out the charcoalbookclub.com where they are still on a mission to inform the mind and inspire the soul. So what I've done... I pulled out a good clip from each of the guests that featured in 2018. I'll introduce them in little batches. I thought I might also, if you will indulge me, share with you a small selection of the lovely emails that I have received since the early days, three years ago, from listeners, some of whom write to me to just let me know how much they enjoy and appreciate the podcast, which is a beautiful thing. And please do, if you ever feel like it, drop me a line. It's always great to hear from listeners. So here goes. I hope you enjoy this because it's a bit of an experiment. Frankly, like I say, I've got to get into the kitchen, so whatevs. And um, please enjoy this 2018 year in review.
Ben, I cannot express how much I love the podcast. I've been wishing for something like this for ages and you have done a brilliant job. I really love the tone you have set and the people you have spoken with and the thoughtfulness and the thought-provoking conversations you have started. It's bloody brilliant. I'm going to promote the podcast on my networks, but anything else I can do to promote it, please let me know. Keep up the good work. Gem. Subject podcast is killer. Message, hi, Ben. Dale here, hailing from the northern beaches of Sydney. Please don't stop your podcast ever, please. It's a heavy hitter podcast in a sea of lightweight fluff. So there is your requested feedback, mate. Loving it. Thank you, Dale. Hi, Ben. I hope you're well. I just wanted to get in touch to say thank you for all your great work with a small voice. I've been listening to each one whilst editing pictures over the past couple of weeks to the point where I've just noticed myself humming the theme tune whilst washing up. Anyway, I just wanted to drop you a line to say thanks. It's a great resource. and I'm looking forward to more in the future. All the best, Claire. So first up, we have Magnum photographer Christopher Anderson. Then we have Dr. Paul Lowe and Tom Hunter and then photo book publisher at the Velvet Cell, Aina Dufresne. Christopher was in London to do a presentation, I think, and very generously gave his time in advance of that. To the extent that as I left, I realised that I'd made myself massively late to pick up the kid from school. I had to jump in a black cab, and I just got to the playground in the nick of time. Paul Lowe was brilliant and is always super articulate, and that went to a two-parter because we we talked so much. Um, Tom Hunter was also lovely, lives about two minutes' walk from my flat. That was super convenient and great fun. And um, Aina... And I sat in an Airbnb in the old Arsenal Stadium development here in North London, which will be of interest only to those of football fanatics among you. In a world where we are inundated, we are drowning in images. Uh, How to make a photograph, how to make an image that cuts through that noise. And I don't know if I have any great insight into that, except I know what works for me. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I think that when I, the only thing that I can think of is a, is a, a formula that might help for me when I'm making pictures is the idea of making, uh, something that truly feels like it, could only be me mm-hmm. um uh that it is i'm talking about authenticity something that feels authentic that feels truthful uh when i know i'm not lying to myself then perhaps i might get lucky enough to make an image that that resonates somehow with someone else mm. I, what makes some images connect and others not connect what's that magic dust that gets sprinkled on something man it's it's enough to wake you up at night (laughs) yeah i mean this might seem like a weird question but do you think that if you have a body of work say you a book project that you know works as a single piece of work as a as a cohesive kind of narrative or whatever, do you think it matters if the pictures, as individual pictures, are not necessarily all that good? Have I have I <laughs> phrased that in a way that's understandable? In other let, words, let me let me rephrase it. Yeah, rephrase it. I don't I don't really care about good pictures. Oh, well, that's a good answer. Um, uh, but that seems like a contradiction if we're talking about 
your attempt to yeah i mean uh, the ultimate thing is to have a great cohesive body of work and great individual pictures that's that's the goal right if you can achieve uh, that yes but it seems like you're saying that it is okay if the individual images are not necessarily all that brilliant uh, you know when we're talking when if we're talking about bodies of work yeah and for me that would usually mean a book Mm. let's say a book uh i really am not interested in the party trick of the great picture yes i like looking at good pictures as much as anyone yes i love that that image that cuts through the noise that we're talking about something else right now I'm talking when when I think of a uh, 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 great books that come to mind it's more about uh what the book has to say. Right. It's more about how the book makes me feel. It's more about this thing that transports me somewhere. And in that sense the idea of good photography or bad photography it's 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 meaningless you know in the old days we got our magazine story published in the magazine and that was we saw that as the be all and end all but so what you know i mean great you got a story in the guardian who saw it who actually read it you mm. know you've got no idea who 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 was involved in that whereas now you're seeing more and more photographers putting together being the kind of central fulcrum if, if you like of a much more complex project where you've got you know, you're working with a couple of editorial clients to get that high-profile visibility. You may be working with a, an NGO or a humanitarian organization on a particular issue to get you the access. You're working with a, fundi- a, fund- a funding body, whether that's commercial or whether it's a, an independent funding body. You're working perhaps with a gallery. You may be working with a book publisher. And you're trying to get your story out to a particular audience across a whole range of different outlets. So it's much, a much more focused and targeted an intelligent strategy really for getting your work out there mm. and that's what we try to encourage with our graduates obviously is having this much more sophisticated and thinking very much about who's the audience who am i trying to impact with this work and why and what am i trying to do with that information you know am i going to give them something to do once they've found out about this situation so having a much more sophisticated strategy really of getting of why you're doing the work who you're doing the work for and what impact might that work have when it gets out into the public domain and that's the big shift i think i mean people were doing that before obviously but i think nowadays the potential for that is much greater and you've got a lot more tools in you at your disposal to get your message out there into the world to the people that might actually be able to do something about it when they they hear it the uh, the editor of the saturday times magazine he came and spoke to me and then six months later he said, actually, I do like your work and I want to put it in the magazine and printed the series up. And as soon as one person said they liked it, suddenly it's like, it was like a floodgate suddenly opened. Hi. And then, yeah, Sarge came along, White Cube came along and commissions came along and suddenly I was like, oh my God. So what, how yeah. did you kind of deal with that? A fairly kind of quick transition to sort of success as it were yeah did you um did you take it in your stride or did it kind of freak you out a bit um i mean i was i wasn't young so i was i was probably 30 yeah right 32 ish at that time so i wasn't a kid and i've been around the block as it were quite a lot i had this sort of early success with the with the ghetto it wasn't like i'm a yeah like the classic 21-year-old getting a band and getting a contract yeah. and getting around the world and getting all the girls and all the drugs. 
but at the same time, it must admit, it did change my perception on things quite badly in some ways. That I thought I, whatever I did would be great. So there was a period that I got to where I thought that, oh, all I need to do now is I'm like Damien Hurst, you know. In some press, I was put in as a YBA artist because of Jay Jock and the White Cube with Damien mm. Hurst and Tracy Emin. Young British artists, and, yeah. yeah. It's that YBA thing. So I did feel as though, oh, wow, whatever I do now will be great. Cars were sent to pick up me at squats. So I was in living in a squat and there'd be a limousine <laughs> sent to pick me up to take me to a meal in West End or to go to the Groucho Club. And it was a very strange and it did I did get a bit confused by all I must admit. Um and I did think I was better than I was and I did take my eye off the target, which is basically you've got to work really, really fucking hard, you've got to be committed and all the rest of it is just total bullshit and you just gotta work hard and produce the work and everything else is just nonsense really and I did think that the nonsense was more important than the work I thought I could just go out take a few snaps and it'd be great I forgot that you know everything I did before I spent years on a project Mm. really hard research overshoot it shooting continuously you know everything I've been talking about what I'm doing now it's really really hard work and it's a grind and I'm not a brilliant photographer but the photographers who do well, or the artists who do well, are the ones who keep on doing it, keep on reviewing it, keep on repeating it, and keep on trying it again, keep on working and working and working. And I, yeah, I did mm. lose it a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. How does publishing other people's work feed into or influence your own, as it were, in terms of, I guess, what you're learning from editing and sequencing and that kind of thing and the actual production of the book? Yeah, massively. I mean, I think I've... I'm super inspired by all the people I publish. Like they all, all their work kind of feeds into what I end up creating. But I think publishing this book was one of the hardest things I ever did. It's so hard to do your own project. Like I find it so easy. I come, I come to other people's projects with such clarity. Right, right. Yeah, it's easier to uh, judge or to uh, assess other people's work in an objective yeah. manner because yeah. you're kind of removed from it whereas with so. your own stuff yeah tell me a little bit more about that yeah i i mean you're kind of only seeing a, a selection of what someone else does they're kind of they you don't know everything that went into it you don't know you're kind of working on the basis of like what they've told you and a certain amount of photos whereas when it's your own i just found i was procrastinating all the time and i couldn't kind of come to an edit and i would talk to people and then just wouldn't feel right and I would change it again um but but I mean thankfully I had the knowledge in terms of the technical knowledge of the books I had done before where that part wasn't such a a difficulty subject line you're great hi Ben found your pod some weeks ago and I just love it I can really relate to your situation being a freelancer trying to make things work pay and still do your own stuff and then starting a pod to get up and forward by having these talks to interesting photographers is nothing short of brilliant you've introduced many new names to me through your podcast thanks so to show you my appreciation and to somehow ensure the flow of talks i've made a subscription of three pounds a month today it's not much but i hope it's just one contribution of many yours pair Olof. Hi Ben, just writing to say that I really appreciate the time and effort that goes into your podcast. Sometimes it's just entertaining to hear photographers go on a rant like Chris Floyd on Paul McCartney. I've shared that story a few times. Or intriguing to hear what some portrait photographers will do to your toothbrush when you piss them off. 
that was a little reference to Harry Borden. Of course, if you haven't listened to that interview, you should. Um, there was uh, uh, an incident with a toothbrush, which uh, is too disgusting to go into. But um, quite surprised at Harry. He's such a nice man. But he was definitely pushed to his uh, limits there. Anyway, I will continue with this uh, email. Occasionally, the interview isn't on the surface what I'm interested in directly, but I'm always left feeling like I've learned something new. Anyway, I wrote having just listened to the Paul Lowe one. I was moved to write as it delivers some really useful information that I hadn't heard before, particularly the methods of categorizing types of photos to make a story. The rest is really, really helpful in trying to work out what sort of future is open for us photographers. Can't state that enough. And after listening, I always finish them feeling positive and hopeful. Thanks again for all the grind you must put in with it. Congrats on a job well done. Finally getting a sponsor and hopefully things are going well with your photography also. All the best, John. Hi Ben, I just wanted to say thanks for putting together such a great podcast. I've become an avid listener and I've just set up a monthly donation. Every time I listen to one of your interviews, I invariably learn something new and your love and understanding of the subject matter always shines through. Anyway, keep up the good work and I hope the donations you get from people like me at least help with some of the financial costs. All the best and thanks again, Paul. So the next batch, we've got Matt Black, who of course is the Magnum photographer, got the coolest name in photography he's also got the best voice in photography great photographer i'm a big fan of his work and he's a very thoughtful guy rafael milak of course polish photographer who at the time was um in the running for the Deutsche Bors Prize, didn't get it in the end, unfortunately, but he was in the in the in the finalist, the final four. We sat in the photographers' gallery here in London. We sat in the um, Brett's office, who's the the kind of boss at the photographers' gallery, and um, she, it was very sweet and generous of her to um, donate it. Much as she didn't probably have much choice, but thanks to Janice, um, Nicole Sebecki, and Anish Babajanian, of course, both with seven. I went to. Barcelona for a few days and uh, it was great uh, and spoke to a whole bunch of seven people Nicole and Anish among them lovely to meet them I was in an Airbnb just a couple of minutes walk from the place where they were doing the workshops because I did at least have enough foresight to realize that if there wasn't a suitable room I was going to need my own base and it worked out perfectly we did most of those chats there but you know I think there's definitely a point at which you have to stop looking at photography as of someone who's creating photography there is a danger in oversaturating yourself in other people's work and for many years i you know i just i wouldn't i wouldn't look at photo books or i wouldn't um really i just wasn't interested in engaging with photography in that way other than trying to use it in the way i was trying to use it it's only until recently that all of a sudden, I feel like I'm rediscovering um, photography as a, also not just a creator, but as an appreciator of it, and beginning to, um, you know, really value other people's perspectives and other people's takes, and other people's other ways of working. Mm-hmm. But you know, to me, at this point, you know, what photography is about—the only thing I care about when you know either when it comes to my work or other people's work is what is this person trying to say what lies behind all this right that's what i respond to in work is what 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 is what is this person trying to say and is it being done honestly or is there something deceptive about it or is there some kind of corner cutting or is it too clever those are the things that influence me. It doesn't, doesn't matter color, black and white, digital, conceptual, documentary. It's the spirit behind it that I really 
that moves me? Well, it was um, it was something that um, you're um, again like uh, second failure, I would say, uh, or second failure that gives you uh, a lesson again. Yeah, like this uh, is incredibly important. I, I'm really glad that you're talking about these 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 favorite failures because I think that you know that's what they are, right? You, yeah. They're things that have taught you a lot. At the time, it probably feels pretty awful. But then you realize there's something Abs- to learn. Absolutely. This is something which is, I would say, necessary because uh, as soon as you realize that you're incapable of doing something, that puts you in a very special position because uh, then you can react, you can respond to it and you can find a solution. So uh, uh, knowing your limitations is also a good thing. And I'm, I, I think I'm like doing it constantly. And it, I, I, to me, it's the, m- it's the field that it's the... The biggest inspiration, and it, I, I, I think it, uh, uh, it provokes the uh, evolution of, uh, of of my work. You have to think much more creatively um, about how to get support for this work, because unfortunately, editorial assignments are becoming increasingly short, mm. um, and you know, I think there are exciting things happening in that space and and the opportunity to kind of build out these interactive stories online and um i mean there's so much richness there but it but it's not financial (laughs) Mm -mm. no yeah (laughs) and um and so if you want to be doing longer personal work you generally have to be finding another way of doing that um so the ability to write proposals to be creative in the sources that you look to for funding is an increasingly important skill to have um, right. i mean i presume that's one of the things that you you try and instill into the um, st- students that you know who, who come to you for advice what what other things do you you know advise people what kind of things that people tend to want to ask you about is it is it very pragmatic stuff about how the hell do I earn a living or is it about how do I improve my photography because those two things are incredibly uh, different different issues well they're different but they're the same um I mean you know we have our, our left and right side of our brains and they they work together um you have to in this field to be successful today in this moment in this field I think you have to have a deeper understanding that this is your business that while you are a creative person in this space this is also your business and to think about it in those terms but then you also have to shift away from that and say you know well what stories do I want to be telling and how do I want to be telling them and if your work you know it it all comes down to your work it all comes down to the strength of your photography or your filmmaking and how you are able to communicate a story and how that resonates with the people viewing it if you don't have that none of the rest of it matter but that is in most cases no longer enough so you need both to my 20 year old self i'd say you know you are pretty crazy and at a you know you're kind of chaotic but i cannot tell you to do something differently from what you're doing because sometimes you just have to go out of the way that was um that was um, that was given to you 
that was uh, written out for you in order to make things happen. So for once in your life, you're doing things that are not the way they're supposed to be. And it's okay. It's okay. And you're not a bad person for that. And keep doing it, keep doing it. And everything will work out. Because it did. I think that's very good advice. What what advice do you give other you know young photographers who who might come to you uh, you know for mentoring or, or mm-hmm. in workshops and stuff in terms of becoming a photographer? What what sort of things? Yeah, do that's you- easy because the main thing that stops the photographers is is this confidence issue, this confidence matter. You know, I even wrote an essay about it the other day on the plane. I want to like I don't know put it out somewhere if I edit it. It's the confidence matter. It's to stop asking yourself the questions whether I am good enough, whether I am talented enough, whether I'm original enough, whether I am experienced enough, professional enough. And give yourself an answer that I am enough. Put a period right there and just go work because you're not going to give yourself those answers they're completely irrelevant to the work that you're doing and stop you looking yourself in the mirror imagining that there's some um, Jesus Christ James Nachtway out there that's doing things so great and he really does that you are not worthy of making a move outside of your house all of that is just irrelevant throw that out know that you are enough for that particular project that you have in mind and you will make it differently from anybody else and so just go and do it hey ben after listening to your podcast i thought i should email you to let you know you have at least one dedicated listener i really enjoy each podcast and i'm always impressed with the photographers speaking it was particularly cool to hear from peter van Ackmel, who's been a long-time hero of mine i also really enjoyed your chat with juno calypso who is just so eloquent and badass she is I can definitely empathise with making something and not knowing if anyone knows about it or cares. I run a small website where I interview photographers and it's fun and enjoyable, but mate, I couldn't tell you if four, forty or four hundred people read it. I'm guessing four. Anyway, keep up the good work and I should donate some money again soon, Matthew. It might not be four, Matthew, it might be four hundred, man, it might be four thousand. Hey Ben, just wanted to drop you a line to say how much I continue to appreciate a small voice. I started listening when you had my buddy Cal on in 2015 and haven't missed one since. That's Cal Peschler-Thigger, of course, uh, also an old buddy of mine. American photographers can tend to be a bit myopic and not know much about photography outside of the US, so I find that a small voice is a great teaching tool as well. Anytime I speak at photo festivals here or teach workshops or talk to classes, I encourage them to check it out. I know that it must be a shitload of work, so thanks for taking it on and producing something that helps out the photo community. Best, Ben. Your podcasts are brilliant, Ben. Thank you for putting them out in the world. And yes, I'm going to subscribe very soon to make your grand total of subscribers at least 28. But in all seriousness, I love your podcast. Your style of interviewing is brilliant and your conversations are always fascinating. I've spread the word here in Sydney, where I'm from, so you should get some listeners there now. And also in London, as I've recently moved here. Thanks again. Going to listen to your latest podcast now while at work. It shall be the highlight of my day. All the best, Alethia, who is also a very good photographer, Alethia. So next up, Rhiannon Adam, who, of course, uh, recounted her incredible, amazing uh, story of her odyssey to Pitcairn Islands in the middle of the Pacific. 
We've got the inimitable Maggie Stieber, who, of course, I also spoke to in Barcelona. Vanessa Winship gave us a, an exclusive and sort of intimate little tour of her big show here at the, in London at the Barbican. And the other seven photographer, a bit of a legend, Ed Cashy, absolutely lovely guy. Another person who I sat with in the little Airbnb that I'd uh, rented in Barcelona. Had a really great chat. Normally I wear this um, this silver ring, which is very chunky, and it sits on my middle finger of my right hand, and it's um, a 3D bounty oh, in yeah. silver. And I got it made when um, I went to Australia on the back end of this trip. So I arrived back in New Zealand, and then I travelled to Australia for a little bit, and um, I went to this shop, and I got this made. And it has, like, the... Uh, around the sides of it is the part of the frontispiece of the bounty copy that I took and um, it's a model bounty and I wear this this really heavy ring and I wear it because I think to myself I live in London god the bus is late it's raining I'm really annoyed everyone's pushing me I've got all this equipment oh, I just wish someone give me a break and then I suddenly look at my hand holding the bus pole and I go oh but at least I'm not on Pitcairn Island. And it's my absolute relief in that real life is so, so liberating and that actually if you can survive Pitcairn Island, you can basically survive anything. So all the projects that I'm thinking up now are all, you know, what I suppose other people would think of as really depressing. But for me, I'm like, oh, that sounds well easy. It <laughs> yeah, sounds, right. that's fine. Yeah. No problem mean? at all. Why, no problem why at all. would that be why, an issue? Why is that a problem? I can just leave. If, it, if yeah. it's horrible, I can just leave. I can just call it quits and leave. And I can just do it for a week and go, oh, do you know what? That didn't work out. Mm. And what an amazing thing mm. to have that. And I think we don't appreciate that enough. No, I think that's it. And I think that's exactly the takeaway you should have. And I think that, that ring's a brilliant thing because it's your, your little reminder. It is. Just a reminder to be thankful. I mean, that sounds so preachy, doesn't it? Always be thankful. And I don't mean it in a kind of preachy way, but I do mean, you know, really look at how good we have it. Mm. Really. And I mean, even to be able to be a photographer and to have the freedom to make work is an amazing thing. But to be able to just to travel freely and to leave and to kind of have a sense of your own self or or that you know your own opinions and your own thoughts and that you can express them. I mean, that is really something, too, because I think it's not just physical freedom. It's also just emotional freedom or freedom to break up with someone and never see them again or just those sorts of you know have an argument and really stew on it you know just those silly things that are everyday life things i mean on pitcairn island you you don't have any of that i'm a documentary photographer you know i've covered everything from war to fashion i worked for the geographic i've done all these stories but i just realized at some point a few years ago that I had all of these things stored up in my head and that I felt that I was experiencing the tyranny of documentary photography because that's what described me but we're so much more than what we do and that I had just seen as I this is when I sort of got upset in my presentation, um, I've just seen and photographed too many starving children, knowing all the while that my pictures aren't going to make any difference for those children. And yet we continue to photograph them because it's important 
that it's documented, but at the same time to understand that oh, some of these things will never change. And it isn't that one gets upset because of the frustration, but that you know that those children will never really survive. And that's what just sometimes becomes too heavy, you know? And then also, after you've seen so many things, I mean, I've almost been killed and beheaded, and I've had guns held to my head, and then I've seen people hacked to death, and uh, and then I've seen great beauty and great kindness. And I mean, the, all of the things that a photographer ends up seeing, you know, but it all accumulates in your subconscious, and at some point you have to flush it out. You have to find some way to experience Uh, to bring the experience out so that it doesn't destroy you or crush you or break your heart so much that you never quite recover. So finally we come to, as time folds, which is the title of the new work and, and of the whole exhibition. So you can finally reveal to me, where does that title come from? Well, the title... Um I actually came out of a um, a conversation I was having with David Chandler, the the person who's written the extraordinary essay in the front of the catalogue, and we were, we were talking about um, talking about the notion of um, people often say to to me, "Oh, your work's timeless." And, and and in a certain way, um, yeah, in a, in a certain way, that's how people read them. But but actually, it's it's more it's more about the folding of time, the um, the the here and now, but the going backwards and forwards. And the sort of doubling and the 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 ex, the, ex, the extending of time, the cycles of life. So, for instance, I'm in Peru just because this is a real, you know, just a couple weeks old situation. I'm asking people who are sick to let me into their lives. Like, what an asshole! If I do that, and then I'm not a hundred percent there, right? Because those, on some level, those people don't need another guy, another person with a camera, you know. So I better have a damn good reason to be getting into their lives, and then I need to treat that with you know dignity and respect and the sort of preciousness of this opportunity that they're giving me. And if I'm not at a hundred percent, there's something not good about that. I can give you another example if. You, Please do, okay. yeah. Okay. So in um, in 2008, I was working on a story about Arab Christians in the Middle East. And uh, this was probably like April. So I was in, we're in Damascus, and we're interviewing people who have gone through the most horrific experiences in Iraq, where, you know, multiple family members have been killed or tortured, and, you know, they've made it out. And they're recounting this. Well, in January of that year, my father-in-law had died, and he had lived, you know, we moved 
back to the East Coast to care for him the last years of his life. So I had just gone through, it was a beautiful experience, but quite an emotional experience where, you know, our last elder had died in our home with us around him. And I'm sitting there and these, this Iraqi, young Iraqi man is telling me these horrific tales. And all I'm thinking about is like, I can't wait to get to back to the hotel room. I want to take a nap. And then I'm thinking, you asshole. Like this, this guy has gone through something so much more horrific than you've just experienced. But what it taught me, again, it's like what I'm going through now, is you've got to find, make sure you're 100%. You have to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and psychologically so mm. that when you, if you are able to get into these moments, especially with the kind of work I do and the issues I care about, that you're at the top of your of your game. Right. Yeah, you kind of owe it to your subjects in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Hi, Ben. I wanted to say that I'm absolutely loving your podcast. It is inspiring and provoking. I worked as a staff photographer for a weekly newspaper here in Northern Ireland for 13 years, but was unfortunately made redundant along with another photographer four months ago. I'm in the process of trying to get a business going, weddings, portraits, etc. But listening to your podcast while washing windows for a friend in the interim has made me think about doing a project about Belfast. I've just listened to the Giles Dooley podcast. His story and passion to tell the stories of people affected by war is incredible. I've listened to the podcast on two occasions now. Please keep up the great work. Thanks, Phil. Hi, Ben. I just wanted to take the time to say thank you for producing such a great podcast. It's great on how it focuses on important elements of photography. It's a great resource for inspiring and learning. I've been binge listening to your episodes for the past couple of weeks now. Just wanted to express my appreciation and please keep up the fantastic work. P.S. I especially enjoyed what you had to do to get the interview with David Allen Harvey. I always enjoy hearing about the risks people take in order to achieve something they want. Best, Hon. Oh, yeah, because I had to doorstep David uh, at a a thing he was running, a a workshop, a magnum workshop. It required a certain amount of uh, sleuthing to discover where he was. And uh, it all worked out brilliantly. David was absolutely fantastic. He basically gave up his lunch hour to talk to me. That's the kind of guy he is. Hey, Ben. You and I actually briefly met last March when you popped by a Magnum workshop I was at to interview David Allen Harvey, see? I was listening to one of your recent interviews with Finbar O'Reilly and thought I would take the time to shoot you an email and tell you how much I appreciate your work with a small voice. As someone starting out in the documentary field especially, it's so, so helpful to hear from a lot of these big-name people in a really candid way about all the ups and downs, the financial side of things and just the general struggle that apparently never goes away trying to do great work and then get it out into the world so really great work you're doing i'm a regular listener and i've gotten a couple of my colleagues to listen as well so keep it up nick now we've got four heavy hitters coming up bruce gilden john stanmeyer ron haviv and Gillian edelstein um bruce i spoke to here in in the Leica um, shop in london where he was doing a, a workshop john stanmeyer of course the other seven photographer and ron haviv both in barcelona both Really enjoyable conversations, both very generous uh, in talking to me. And Gillian Edelstein, of course, who I had a really lovely chat with in her flat. As a child, I liked the, uh, the most extreme wrestler. I liked um, the underdog. I've always been for underdogs. So, I mean, you know, to get sometimes people who criticize me, they can go back and sit in their chair and they know nothing about life. Right. I've had a pretty full life, you know, pretty... Well, I don't know what word to use, type of life, but... Colorful? Well, yes, colorful could be a word. I don't look at it as colorful. It's my life. You know, mm. it's the only thing I know. But the thing is, um, that's what separates these pictures from others because I, I 
know these people. Mm. I've suffered. I know what it is, you know, to have this, to have that, you know, something that to be looked on as not your average person. Right. And the others, you know, they pay lip service. They don't know much about life. You know, they think they do, and they're politically correct. I'm not politically correct, mm. and I'll never be politically correct. Well, I've heard you say you don't have any ethics, but I don't really believe that. Oh, I have tons of ethics. Yeah. That's a, someone asked me that the other night in, at the lecture, and uh, the thing is, uh, my wife told me, you said that once, and she said, Bruce, that's a stupid statement. <laughs> and it was a very poor statement on my part because I have a lot of ethics. Yeah, that's what I figure. Yeah, I do. I yeah. mean, um, I have more ethics than all these people that claim to be, most of them that claim to be politically correct. Because I see the forest, you know, through the trees. Mm. In other words, it's great to talk about things. It's great to talk about diversity. It's great to talk about a lot of things. But what happens when your back is against the wall? How are you going to react? Mm. I know when I comment on something, that comment is made because I've already figured out how I'm going to react if my back was against the wall. You know, if, if the, as they say, the shit hit the fan. Because mm. I know things like that can happen. So, you know, I, have, I look in the mirror and I smile because of where I came from to where I am. And I, I do these pictures for me. It's, 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 it defines who I am. It's, you know, I'd love everybody to love them, but if they don't, too bad, what can I say? Well, you say you're photographing yourself. For That's the, right. For the most part. And I also photograph myself. Yeah. Are there any kind of lessons that you learned very early on in your career that, that you know, kind of have stayed with you? Any particular uh, learnings that, you know, that you kind of um, came by the hard way in a way? As far as photography, taking pictures or, you know, being a photojournalist goes. There's nothing... Photography is a pragmatic act of using just a tool. Uh, the, the stumblings or the growth is happening today as it was many, many years ago. Uh, and always a stumble and an always a, a pickup and, and moving forward or trying to move forward. Um, were there any lessons? Um, you, you have, nothing falls out of the sky. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have to climb out on the limb to get the fruit, and you have to be gentle, mm. uh, uh, supportive, nurturing of that tree, which is very much yourself and also the tree of our, of our collectiveness. Uh, you have to nurture that tree, and you have to climb out on that limb uh, gently and politely to get that fruit, because if the fruit just magically falls down, it's already rotten. Uh, so it's a never-ending act of, of, of a lot of tremendous work, a lot of giving, um, uh, hopeful seasonal rains, uh, mm. some uh, moments where there will be drought uh, and, and difficulty to nurture that tree, uh, and then uh, serendipity and good luck when, when you have a harvest. Uh, that is that is the gift, uh, and uh, that cycle has nothing to do with photography, but it has to do with everything in life. Whether mm. you're a, a banker or a, a butcher or a weaver or a photographer or a, a, a yoga teacher, uh, you have to go through these cycles, and those are the greatest lessons that you never stop learning. People might be laboring under the misapprehension that as a as a as a sort of you know experienced war guy you're not 
don't know that there's no fear or that uh, you know you're somehow you know emotionally detached from the situation but that isn't true right uh, I'm pretty much when going into a conflict area I'm as soon as the flight the plane leaves the New York area until the plane comes back to the New York area I am in a constant state of fear and the key is at least for me is learning how to use that fear to make sure that I don't make stupid and rash decisions but at the same time ensuring that the fear doesn't paralyze me to the point where I'm unable to work because if I'm unable to work then there's absolutely no reason for me to be there and it's not just fear it's being emotional covering you know very brutal moments famines things like that where it's like this is really horrific and while I might and should be and am emotional while photographing I cannot let the emotion overcome me at that point. The emotion overcomes me once the job is over. Once I'm back in a safe place, then I can break down and cry and process what I've just witnessed. But it's incredibly important to remain focused while doing the job, while photographing and documenting. But at the same time, I cannot be a robot. I mean, it would be very easy to completely turn off all emotions, but my opinion is that once the photographer does that, that comes across in the photography. So I have to feel something in order for it to come through the way I'm documenting the situation in order for the viewer to feel something. I hadn't processed 120 film for quite a while and I went to, um, and it was at the time where I would literally go out with one light and my 35mm camera, but I also had my 120. And this time I thought, right, I'm going to shoot on this Hasselblad. And Spike Lee was at this hotel. I photographed him. We had a rather, he'd just, the beginning of his career he just um the film she's got to have it had just come out and i went back to i had i, I was hiring a dark room in west london i went back to the dark room loaded the film and clearly i'd made a complete cock up and the film came out and it was all stuck together and oh god and it's i remember such a horrible feeling such a horrible feeling and i and i can tell you of a number of images that are kind of burned onto my brain that I thought were on the, you know, I'd caught and they weren't there, you know, back of the film and they're not there. But this was one of them. And I remember I just bought a little mini Cooper or something and dashed back to this hotel and sat and just waited and thought, I've got to, I've got to do, got to, I can't come back with this, out this image. And I waited and waited. Finally he came back. It was dark, black. <laughs> and... He said, uh, we went out, he said, he was still wearing this kind of hoodie. Hoodies weren't he? So you just sort of cost, accosted him in the lobby or something? Lost, exactly what I did. Yeah. I said, oh, you've got to help me. And was me. he grumpy about it? Very. Incredibly grumpy. And we stood on this balcony and he said, okay, man, this is the pose. <laughs> he just stood there. And I, can, I mean, he folded his arms in that kind of yeah. like holding it close to his body. Like, I'm so furious about this. And I don't know if you consider that snatching it from the jaws of defeat. but it uh, Yeah, was, no, I, I think I do. Because the fact that you, you know, you, you, you were determined to, to uh, you know, somehow get something out of it you know and that you went back you didn't just kind of have a massive uh, meltdown and, and then just tell him that it wasn't you know that it had gone wrong yeah I mean yeah you you, you did it you did but I and I have experiences where that hasn't happened for example I remember being commissioned I was on a film set in 
right way out in East London. And, and then I was told, oh, no, please, can you go and photograph Paloma Picasso at, um, at the Ritz? I think she was at the Ritz. At Claridge's Hotel. And um, I didn't trust anybody. Control freak person, probably. And went, took the film and, and, and went to... Yeah, this was the idea. This was the other way around. I Paloma Picasso, and then I had to go onto this film set, and I went back to the to, to do this photograph of her, and um, she. I remember she was looking this incredibly kind of vamping against this wall and looking rather glamorous and sexy and beautiful, and I can still see that image. I can see the the wall behind the color of the paint of the wall. I went back to the dark room and said to my friend who was I was sharing the dark room I've got to go onto the set I obviously wasn't that control freaky it's since then and said would you process this film and he processed it in fixer oh no way yeah oh no so I still see that image but I don't have it hi Ben I'm a freelance portrait photographer I just wanted to email you to say how much I enjoy your interviews with photographers I learned about a small voice through assisting Harry Borden as have a whole bunch of Harry's ex-assistants, thankfully, and thanks to the lovely Harry, whose interview I thought was fantastic. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to your next podcast. Cheers, Emmett. Hi, Ben. Just wanted to say how much I enjoy listening to your podcast. I came across it after Jenny Lewis mentioned it on her Instagram feed. I've only listened to your interview with her so far, but look forward to hearing the others. And although I haven't donated anything yet, I will sure to do so soon. I think it's so important to keep the photography community alive and give aspiring and professional photographers an insight into what's going on in the industry and a platform to listen to our peers and heroes speak out. Best, Hugh. Hi Ben, I just wanted to send you an email to say hello. I was told about your podcast the other day by a friend and have been listening whenever I can since. I've just quit assisting to concentrate on my own work and being able to listen to all these stories of photographers who have managed to make a success of both their commissioned and personal work is really great and very inspiring as I attempt to push on. Thanks, Gary. Good morning, Ben. I feel so excited I have to write to you. It's like Christmas over and over just waiting to hear your next interview. You are my first podcast. Yes, I am a child of the 60s, still getting to grips with technology. And now I wake up with you on a daily basis. You lucky person. I knew I'd found gold when your second and third interviews were with my all-time heroes, George Giorgio and Vanessa Winship. You are a real inspiration, and I would like to underline that it just shows you that you can do amazing things at any age, and especially when you hit a wall. I love Danish Babajanian's genius words of wisdom for people like me, not just for photographers. Thank you for all your hard work in making this fortnightly podcast happen and the amount of time and work you must have put in since September 2015. Your talent for interviewing, humour and passion resonates ever louder as you are really finding your stride. I have to say you have totally nailed a small voice. It's been fascinating listening to your confidence grow from the start of your interviewing to now. I'm looking forward to the next 70 episodes. I still have to listen and many more. With warm regards, please don't give up. Fan number 78, a lover of pictures and a tiny subscriber to SV. P.S. I would like to place an order of your book, A Small Voice by Ben Smith. It's just waiting for you to go to print. Might happen one day. You never know. I can't remember that's from. That's such a lovely email. Ah, Anyway, thank you. Hi, Ben. I'm a photographer in the US. Just dropping you a random note to say I really enjoy your podcast. A lot of photo podcasts have come and gone, but yours hasn't gone away for the simple reason that it's better than those others. I've listened to more than a few on long drives to one assignment or another. Thank you for doing this, Don. Next up, seven photographer Daniel Schwartz, Alexandra Fazina, Donald Weber, and a bloke called Martin Parr. 
all these were great. Daniel Swartz was here in London. I didn't get a chance to speak to him in Barcelona because there were just too many people to talk to. But um, we did hook up when he came over here, I think for Photo London. Alex, uh, of course, lives also very close to me. I've been trying to get Alex on for so long and it was brilliant to finally pin her down and have the chat, which I enjoyed very much. Donald Weber, we sat on the floor of his little um, hotel in uh, Victoria here in London. He was just over to sort of, I don't know, do a bit of um, sorting stuff out because he's starting a PhD. And um, it was hilarious, the two of us just sitting on, on this kind of hard, uncomfortable floor. But nevertheless, we had a great chat. Martin Parr, of course, I went down to the Martin Parr Foundation here in Bristol and, um, you know, that was a great, great joy. And uh, it was great to get him on. You know, he's an important person to to have on this podcast. And um, I'm just so glad he's kind of thrown his contribution into the ring, as it were. Maybe we all need to think more about um, really educating ourselves fully uh, if we're going to go off and take pictures in places which we're not, we really don't know too much about. Well, we need to... We need to listen. Yeah. We need to. We, first of all, we need to go see for ourselves, and then, obviously, we meet people and we have to listen to them. We should forget about our preconcepts, which we carry. We go. We inform ourselves at home, and mm. then we forget what we have read, and we go there. And this will eventually change the concepts we have, or or uh, modify concepts. And we need to listen to what people have to say to us mm. and to to find a way of of building their information into the way we see things. Well, I think you've said that it's important to you to uh, see things from as many different perspectives as, as possible. Yeah. Has that always been the case for well, you? Well, that's something you learn. You learn. I mean, people sometimes ask me, but but these dangerous places, have you ever been in life danger? I said, I might have, but I don't know because the people who took me there and brought me out, if they said it's time to leave, then I said, okay, fine with me. Mm-mm. Because you always have, even if you're informed very well, once you're in a place, you only st- understand 25% of what's going on. The rest, you're not being told, people protect you from it or don't want to give it to you because they still don't trust you, even if you try to be open. Um, so you have to know that you always scratch on the surface and you're lucky if you if you bring back from every assignment one or two pictures which sort of go a little bit deeper. There's, there's lots of little skills that people probably don't realise. Um, like touch wood, I've, I've never got ill. I mean, I've had malaria once or something, but I'm somebody that's a good traveller. Mm. Um, you have to move very fast. There's a lot of adrenaline. But also, I suppose the time I spent with the British Army also taught me that. Mm. Um, what about, um, you know, the impact of seeing that degree of suffering going on in front of your camera? Um, Did you have a way to somehow protect yourself from, from that? I don't think you do. And, I mean, I can look back to... I remember one incident and I was working with Rory Carroll who used to be the Africa correspondent for The Guardian back then and it was in Uganda and we came across a massacre one morning. Somebody called us about four o'clock in the morning and we went out into the bush and there was lots of chopped up bodies, um, burnt bodies, pieces of bodies and we actually went there with the families as they were returning to their village for the first time since it was attacked the night before. It was a really just horrific scene. And I can remember just standing there and looking through my camera, 
just busy framing everything. Everything was fitting into a rectangle and I'm just busy, you know, taking everything in. And then turning around to Rory, who was stood with his notepad, who was just having a breakdown and thinking, are you okay? And realising that he actually had to really look. And then I had this realisation that as a photographer, we don't really, really do that sometimes. Mm, We're so busy framing and looking through a lens that we don't often see life around us so much. And I think there's a lot of photographers and people's work I see who are still very guilty of that, who don't ever take in the bigger picture, Mm. so to speak, um, or really get a good grasp on what they're doing. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I suppose you could argue that, that it's a necessity because if you do lose it, and then you don't get the pictures, then in a way you you might as well not be there. And I think I've heard that argument, and I think there is there is some... You it know, is an argument, but I think what, what also was troubling then is then you can, you know, when you're away and you're busy working, you get on with the next thing and something else happens the next day, which might be equally dramatic. But then I suppose as a photographer, the difference is when you get back home, you develop your film, you look at the contact sheets, you scan it, you see it big on a screen... And then perhaps you start looking more closely. Mm. Um, And I remember seeing things I didn't actually perhaps really see when I was on the ground. And that somehow always goes through your work because I'm still looking at those pictures now. I still have to rescan my archive. I still have to send them off for certain things. Like they never leave you. Mm. So the trouble is once you are a photographer and you've taken these pictures, you're never going to get rid of them. You can never put them down. I can never put them in a file in my filing cabinet and think, okay, those negs have gone. I've done with those. Because they're there. They're part of your work. Mm. And unfortunately, you always sort of have to live with them. And I think that does burn quite a deep hole. Apart from the quality of the individual images themselves what you know what factors separate an exceptional photo book from the rest do you would you say well it's got to have uh, you know it could have something a great story at the core of it and it's got to be um well designed to echo what's going on in those images and it's got to have the correct sequence but ultimately it's about the power of those individual pictures and the thing with photography it's so easy to do and yet so difficult to actually do uh, and that's the thing that confounds people. And, and many of the books that we see now published aren't really resolved. There, there is nothing particularly fresh or new added in. So um, you can tell pretty immediately by looking at a book or indeed a body of work how much effort has been invested in that. And I'm looking for people that really have put themselves out. That's the general quality that I'm looking out for more than anything else, in fact. And the fact that they got something to say through those images and their connection to the world out there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I was going to say, what do what do the people who who don't get it right fail to do? But you've sort of just answered that question in a way. It's it, they don't perhaps consider those things carefully. Well, enough. people are lazy. Basically, photography can make you lazy. Mm. There are no shortcuts in photography. You know, you have to invest that passion, that investment, that time, that mm. concern. Uh, you know, if you want to get decent work. So here is your final three of 2018, Leonie Hampton. Martin Osborne and Chris Killip. Leonie is in London from time to time. She's not based here, but, she, uh, but she, and she teaches remotely. But um, it was great to, to grab her while she was visiting. Martin Osborne, of course, another Hackney person, another person who lives very close to me, another person I've been trying to get on for absolutely ages, but a man um, whose time is very much in demand. So I was really, really happy to get both of them. And of course, Chris Killip, wow. You know, he's always been on the list. Obviously, he's based in the States. I thought, 
I didn't know that he came to London fairly regularly, which it turns out he does, or to the UK at least. Um, and I was going to get a train up to Newcastle, uh, up north, and quite happily would have done that. Um, would have cost me 100 quid, but definitely worth it for Chris. And uh, it turned out he was coming to London, so I grabbed him at the famous Chelsea Arts Club, and uh, we sat in the little bedroom that he was occupying, kind of crammed in there and, and had the chat, which I hope that you've uh, all listened to and enjoyed. I feel that there's there's more potential for exploitation when you go to a world outside of your own and you make work there and then you come back to your world where you aren't necessarily having to deal with their responses to what you do with that work. Um, let's say you go to a, a country which doesn't see the exhibition you do in your own country. Um, in, there is an element of potential exploitation in that experience. So with my family, um, I've had to navigate each of those moments of putting it into the public domain forensically. You know, they have responded to those experiences forensically and we've had to go through things at that forensic level um, and I've made mistakes um, and they've made me, you know, uh, we've, I've suffered from those mistakes. Um, so I don't feel that I've exploited them. I feel I have at moments put my ego over the duty of care of them um, and their needs. And, but I, but I, that's been called up in the moments when I've done that. Um, so I, it's, 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 it's my life and my family is part of my life and I trust in myself to navigate those moments when I step in the wrong direction and I trust them to come to me to tell them, to tell me that I've made that mistake. So I don't, I don't worry about that idea of me exploiting them. Well, in a way, the other, the other side of that coin is that they're, they're, just, they're, they're um, going to feel, you know, pretty comfortable with telling you to bugger off if you're taking a picture you know of them uh that they for whatever reason they don't don't want you to take or that you know it's a moment they just you know it's it's like not not now maybe yeah you know yeah no and i i have had that my yeah. brother there were certain moments and when i was starting the work one scene where my mum was really was crying in a corner and we were all in the garden and we were all surrounding her and I stepped back and I took a picture of the scene and my brother turned to me and said, if you take another picture, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> and um, uh, and so I came back into the into the fold comforting my mum. And then I, I brought that picture down to my mum a few weeks later and she saw it and she really loved the picture because um, she saw this love of her children around her, um, which she can't necessarily see in those moments, couldn't see in those moments of despair. And um, and she asked me for a copy of it. And my sister and my brother saw this and it, it meant that things really changed. Uh, seeing, seeing how I was visualizing the situation, seeing my mum embrace that as an mm. image and then, you know, they relaxed a bit, their protectiveness of her. So you've kind of joked that Hoxton Mini Press has been disastrous for your photography career. Well, I don't know how much of a joke it is, but is that Well, it's true? pretty true. It's pretty true. I mean, um, yeah, it's pretty true. I, I, I 
just I mean I'm, I'm just I've still got a photography studio and I'm just moving it actually today later this afternoon um, um, because I'm just like, I'm not going to let go of my space and I and I um, share it with um, Andy Sewell who's a great photographer um, and uh, yeah I just haven't had the time mm. but I, ha- I have to be honest it's also I there's an avoidance there mm. I love of photography and being a photographer but there is a certain amount of fear in doing your own thing and it's sometimes easier to produce other people's work and to go out and to do your own project and it not be good mm. is quite scary and it's 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 ridiculous you know because i've done projects and i think they're pretty good um but there's always and i've got lots of projects i want to do but there's always you wake up on a monday morning and you think well, either I can go out and pursue this sort of slightly nebulous idea that I might spend two months on and it might come to nothing, um, or I answer those five emails and just try and sort out that you know. And it's one is one is one is tangible and one's not. And the temptation is always to sort of do the tangible. So I did go to London, and I went to the library on the first week, and I made a list of the best fifty photographers. In, and it took me a week to make this list. I was very methodical. And number one was David Bailey, because he was the most famous. And number two was Brian Duffy. And number three was Terence Donovan. Number four was this guy called Adrian Flowers, who was doing all the Benson Hedges cigarette advertising. And then my nerves failed. I was from the other man I didn't know anything. So I went to the 50th photographer. And I can't remember, one of them was the Society photographer, Tom Hustler. God, I mean, if I, I luckily didn't get a job with any of them. And I was running out of money, and I knocked on this house in Tite Street in Chelsea, the former home of Oscar Wilde. And I was desperate. And this girl opened the door. And I was talking to her about it. I'd really like to, to work for Mr. Flowers as assistant. She said, where are you from? I said, the Isle of Man. She said, I thought so. Come in. Her, at college, her boyfriend was Howard Gray, whose father was had Joe's Bar, which was one of those old-fashioned places where you were photographed where there was a false bar and you, and you wore a sombrero hat. And you, could, and you could pretend you were someone more exotic than the Isle of Man. <laughs> and so she she said, come back. He's not in. I'll talk to him. But come back tonight. Come back at half past six. So I did. When I met this guy Adrian Flowers this, this is him looking at me and he had three assistants and it's somebody, somebody must have taken pity on me you can start on Monday wow. <laughs> and I went in on Monday and I can remember this day so vividly I started to tremble because he was playing on a reel-to-reel tape Art Tatum's 14 variations on Over the Rainbow and I felt completely out of my depth I felt I don't know anything about nothing because I, mean, I, had, I had an Oscar Peterson record. I thought that was cool. Mm. And Art Tatum was out there for me. Right, <laughs> right. And I felt so, I was so unnerved by this. But Adrian was a very nice guy and kept, at the end of the week, he said to me, you know about food. You work in the kitchen. I said, yeah, Adrian, what, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I've got a couple coming in tonight. And they've just come from Israel. They're friends and they've got no photographs. So let's have a little party because I'm going to photograph them. Let's make it a cheerful occasion. I said, oh. So I went off and bought the champagne and I made little canopies with smoked salmon, and a bit of caviar. So I did all of it. It was all quite yeah. nice. At six o'clock, the door burst open and then came Daniel Barrymore and Jacqueline Dupre. <laughs> And they were, no they were drunk on love. They were already drunk on love. They were just laughing. And, and it was such a nice night. And I, and I was thinking, I can remember going, 
this is okay, this phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, it was I a was hell so of an lucky. introduction to well, that I, world. I was so lucky that it was somebody as sophisticated as Adrian. Who yeah. We used to photograph, and he was a big friend of um, Victor Passmore's. We used to have, and, and the different artists, he photographed their work, and we'd talk about it. Mm. And every time he did a picture, he'd, he'd say to me, what do you think? And I didn't realise what he was doing. He was building up my confidence. Mm, mm. And I was, and I got more bolder and bolder and started to criticise the pictures we had just taken. But he was like being an extremely good teacher. Mm, mm. I met one day at a very funny moment. Well, there was a terrible man called Clement Freud, who was the food critic on the Observer, food writer on the Observer. And he was a pompous idiot. Mm. Awful man. And it, we were going to have to do an omelette. And he came out and he was furious that Aidan hadn't hired a home economist for the shot, for the observer. And I said, no, Chris will do it. I said, Chris will do it. It's ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. And he was pumping. And he was walking up and down going, it's ridiculous. So I, I've i never made such a good omelette this, to this day. <laughs> the omelette I made was so perfect. And it was on a plate. And Aidan was photographing, leaning over. And he had it. Release his hand, and, he, and I was standing there. He was looking at me, and he kept winking at me. And <laughs> Freud was like stomping up and down. <laughs> you nailed the omelette. <laughs> yeah, I nailed the omelette. And Hadrian was highly amused by this because yeah. it annoyed Clement Freud. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and his, his gamble had paid off. I, you know, I, came, I came good. Ben, I just wanted to give you a shout out and congratulate you on having such a wonderful program. I only discovered it a couple of months ago, and I've really enjoyed the conversations, especially your most recent one with Bruce Gilden. Top notch. I wrote a review on my website for the show, recommending it to my own listeners. I hope it turns more people on to what you're doing on your side of the pond. I hope that we can sit and chat sometime soon. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Ibaranex Pirillo. Ibaranex, of course, is host of the photography podcast, A Candid Frame. You know, was was kind of the inspiration for A Small Voice in many ways. It was such a thrill to hear from him and to, to have such a, a lovely fan letter. We have spoken since absolutely lovely bloke and uh, you know if you don't listen to a candy frame that's the other one i would recommend along with uh, of course my own ben i just wanted to write you to tell you how much i enjoyed your recent interview with bruce gilden i've always had mixed reactions to his work and all the interviews i've seen before with him left me even more confused not sure what the alchemy you had in that short time with bruce was but it was perhaps the best podcast interview i've ever listened to i can say after listening i had a whole new appreciation for his work and all the mixed emotions i had about the way he goes about taking his photographs washed away it's funny being a lifelong new yorker myself i thought i had pegged him as a certain type however his vulnerability and life story peeled a whole new layer off the onion you're doing a wonderful service to those of us who love the process and art of photography looking forward to hearing more in the future all the best ryan yeah, I've kind of felt the same way, Ryan, about that interview with Bruce. Um, what what a lovely guy he is. Hi, Ben. Just want to say how much I'm enjoying the podcast. I've started at the beginning, just finished listening to Antonio Olmos. It's a joy to hear intelligent, articulate discussion of issues that are important to us as photographers and people. I was particularly tickled by the contrast between George Giorgio's and Tony Olmos's thoughts on asking permission before photographing people. You're a really good interviewer. It's a conversation, but you ask the right questions and draw people out. Warm best wishes, Cheska. Hi Ben, I'm an aspiring photographer and I just want to say that after many years of being in the industry, working for photography agents and not really having the confidence to start my personal projects, your podcasts have inspired me again to pick up my camera. I've just finished a course to get me back on my feet and I'm going to reach out to photographers next year to assist. A massive thank you and fingers crossed I'll be on your podcast in 20 years. Ha! When I have enough money, I'll be donating. Alyssa. Oh, well, thanks, Alyssa. That's a lovely. And I hope that, you know, 2019 is the year which you really start working on your own stuff. 
So those are some of the lovely emails I've had over the last three years. I just really wanted to share them to give you a sense of what it's like to have that kind of feedback and therefore to give you a sense of why it's a pleasure to continue to do this podcast. Happy New Year to all of you. Best of luck for 2019. And listen in January next uh, episode of Small Voice featuring Lindsay Adario. Speak soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.